0: The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. All right, good morning. Good to see you again. Um, Doug, one of the pastors here. Happy Mother's Day. Glad you're here. My mom is live streaming, most likely this hour, from Des Moines. Uh, so obviously two moms very close to me would be you, mom. Uh, mom was, my mom um, was raised in a family where there were three siblings and then like a 10 or 15 year gap, and then her. And so she's the first uh, follower of Jesus in her immediate family. And so as a little kid, kept asking somebody to take her to church. No one ever would. So she would listen to the radio on Sunday mornings. And it was through listening to the radio that she began her relationship with Jesus. And then I've seen her as a mom really just study the Bible. And God has provided mentors in her life that really taught her how to raise her son. So, very grateful to you, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. And then, obviously, my wife, Lori, is, I've been in the trenches with her and just seen her doing an amazing job. She had a baseball tournament on Mother's Day, uh, getting here for next hour. But just, again, the way she has given her life and served me and our kids is phenomenal. So, we have a great chapter today uh, for moms or for all of us, really. It's Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. The notes will be uh, any of the verses we 're looking at will be on the screens behind us too, um, but it, this is a great chapter it 's one of my favorite go to chapters. If I need to be reminded about how great God is or who God is, this is one of my go to chapters. It begins begins with the phrase "comfort, comfort my people." So moms in the crowd, especially if you got kids in school, Mother's Day lands at a good time of year because you are burning out. Like it's been, you might have been fresh mom back in August and everybody was looking good. Man, you're just getting them out of the door now in May, right? Let's just get this school year done. And then it seems like everything just layers on us. We had weeks this week where there were three activities stacked on the same night, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, concerts, and track meets, and you name it. It's yesterday morning, we look at each other and go, why are we so tired? It's because we just look back at the week. So comfort my people is timely, um, but it's also like some of the things that Sharon just touched on here earlier, as far as like some of the hurt, some of the disappointment that is evoked by the concept of Mother's Day, and so that, that this morning, God wants to comfort uh, his people, and it ends with Um, Maybe one of the more famous, maybe one of the most posterized verses in the Bible, where it says, Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. So, again, I feel like this is a chapter where God just squares up with his people and says, Look, trust in me. I'm good, I'm strong, and I love to share my power with my people. So look up, don't look at your circumstances, look up and see who I am. I feel like he's gonna do that with us this morning and really encourage us through that because it's not, again, just moms that need this today. We've got people ready to graduate. We got finals weeks coming up. We got job hunting going on. Um, We've got people out of school that, I mean, we got things going on in our families, things with our health, a lot of circumstances. You look globally at what's going on in our world. We need a good injection from Isaiah chapter 40 today. So, and you might ask, well, who's this guy named Isaiah? Actually, over the next several weeks, we're going to be studying the book of Isaiah. And you might ask why? That guy lived like 2,700 years ago. Why do we care about what Isaiah said? Well, Isaiah... Um, is the most quoted prophet from the Old Testament into the New Testament times. He was a scholar. He uh, was very familiar with kings in his era. There were four different kings that he had relationships with that that he often advised and counseled. But probably the most significant moment in Isaiah's life happened very early in his career as a prophet. And you see that in Isaiah chapter 6, where he's in the temple worshiping, and then he was given a a vision, He was enabled to see uh, the Lord in heaven uh, just being worshipped. And so you read Isaiah 6, and it says that around the throne of God, these angels, these just amazing heavenly beings, were just shouting out to God, holy, holy, holy. And then here's how he describes it. And they, they called out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah responded the same way any of us would. If we just rolled into the presence of the holy God. Like we would just be instantly aware of how small we are, of how sinful we are. And yet what happened to Isaiah is that one of these seraphim, one of these angels grabbed a coal and came to Isaiah and touched his mouth with it. And, and that was a picture of God covering Isaiah's sins. That now not only was Isaiah in the presence of this amazing holy God, but now Isaiah had just tasted what it meant to be forgiven by this God. And then God said, now who will go for us? Who will go and proclaim my name to my people? Man, and Isaiah's hand just shot up, said, here I am, send me. He had the privilege of being in the presence of God and now he had the privilege in the rest of his career to go and make sure that God's people knew how awesome their God is. And so maybe that background helps you understand why Isaiah's writings are so powerful and why he has such a big picture of God. In fact, 25 different times he calls God the Holy One of Israel. And the whole rest of the Bible, that only happens five other times. So Isaiah was so aware of the greatness of God. And at the same time, Isaiah was passionate about his friends, his fellow countrymen, his fellow worshipers of God. And we need our country today, our world today, needs believers like Isaiah who are so blown away by the power of God that they just can't wait to take the truth about how awesome God is and share it with the people that he loves. He was bold, he was courageous, um, he spoke when it wasn't popular, but he so deeply cared for the people around him. You talk about a Sunday to dedicate children, wouldn't that be an awesome mom and dad with a huge view of God who just love to share that view of God with their kids? And wouldn't that be awesome for all of us to live um, with that kind of, of perspective on life? So let's pray that God will speak to us. I'm gonna just give you time now to pray. So we just close our eyes here. And before we jump in to this awesome passage, could you ask God to speak to you? And in particular this morning, God would long to just infuse you with courage and strength. And so maybe even right now think of what's a battle what's a struggle what's a disappointment what's a hurt in your life right now and just lay that before god and say god show me your greatness and show me your goodness this morning and could you pray for me i love this chapter in many ways it's a joy to teach this chapter but i want could you just pray that god would speak through me that his words would prevail this morning, not mine. God, you love your people. You love the people that are here listening to your word. God, encourage them and point them to your greatness and your goodness. In your great name we pray. Amen. All right, so this chapter kind of breaks into three sections. The first 11 verses talk about God's promise. Uh, the, the middle section is about God's preeminence, that he's supreme. And then the last one is some great verses about how do we persevere? How do we continue to live in this life when it can be hard and when we can be exhausted? Let's start with the promises. And something we need to remember here is, and it's, it's tricky sometimes when you read prophets, prophets. What's happening here is Isaiah is speaking to um, his current audience, the people that he's living with, okay? And so particularly in Isaiah 1 through 39, his warning to his people was, guys, we are a people who have abandoned God. And you see that throughout the first part of Isaiah. We're worshiping idols. We're living immoral lives and we're being really unjust. We're not treating the poor correctly. We're we're being very selfish. And so you see throughout the first half of his book, the first 39 chapters, there's that constant warning, guys, we've gotta stop, guys, we've gotta worship God. And so what you see in chapter 40, where we're starting today is a shift because what happened historically is that God's people were invaded by the country of Babylon. The nation of Babylon took uh, God's people captive, took them back to Babylon, and so in chapter 40 you see a shift that Isaiah is no longer speaking to his audience, but he's speaking to the next generation. He's speaking to people about 100 years later that would have been then in captivity in a foreign land for about 70 years, and they're about ready to come back to their country. And so you know there's got to be some fear, some trepidation, some uncertainty, and that's why you'll see he just starts this chapter with the words comfort, comfort. So verse, chapter 40, verse one, the first promise is that that God offers comfort to his people. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned. there are so many things here that would have just been like music to your ears if you were God's people. That he says, for example, speak tenderly. That means speak from the heart, from God's heart to yours. God wants you to know his comfort. The other just music to your ears would be that your sins are forgiven, that God has forgiven us for all those things we did in the past, the idolatry, the immorality, and the injustice to the poor. God has said, you know what? I'm forgiving you of that. And now I want you to experience comfort. I want you to experience joy in a relationship with me. It's interesting too, that word comfort was a plural um, command. Like you guys fire each other up with this. It wasn't just Isaiah saying comfort, comfort my people. Isaiah said, just tell everybody to spread the word that God is offering his comfort, that God is offering forgiveness, that God is restoring our relationship. Okay, so there's comfort. The next promise is in verses three to five that that we need to prepare because God's deliverance is coming. It's coming. Look at verse three. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground will become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Back in Isaiah's day, if you lived out in a village or a town, and the word came that the king was coming to your village, it was your job as a village to make sure that that road was ready for the king to come. So you would send people out, you would make sure there's no obstacles on that road, or if there were some potholes, you would fill those in. What we just saw in this about the promise that God is coming to his people, coming to bless his people, you see two folds in this. One is, it's a challenge to God's people, be ready, be expectant because God is coming. And so prepare yourselves, like put your hope in God, not other things, God will deliver. But what is, what is so clearly beyond what we're supposed to do is the whole concept of leveling mountains, okay? Or filling in valleys, like no village would be expected to, hey, could you just take out those mountains there so the king could come to you? What you see there is the relentless pursuit of God to get to his people. Like, so yeah, you need to prepare and maybe fill in the little potholes, but God is going to tear down mountains to get to you. God is going to fill valleys to get to you because he is so committed to bless his people and to be good to his people. So at the end of the day, when God's people see his glory and bask in his goodness, it won't be, well, good thing we filled that little pothole and he got here to us. It's like it's, the staggering thing is going to be, look what God did to get to us. And so the challenge there is be ready because God nothing can hold God back from bringing glory and bringing blessing to his people. Doesn't, doesn't this fire you up a little bit? Like this, that's, that's Isaiah, man. He fires you up, okay? So that's the second one. The third one is verses six and eight where, the, where the, the command there is to cry out and cry out that God's word stands forever. So verse six, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Uh, This time of year in Iowa, anybody can grow grass, right? And so like every four days, you're out there with your mower and it's clogging up and it's jamming up. Everybody's yards look beautiful and green. It's the true gardener that has this going on in August, right? We haven't had rain for six weeks. And what looks so plush in May is now just like, what happened? Like, when did we move to the desert? What happened to my grass? And so Isaiah's point is very similarly, like, do not trust in human flesh, Do not trust in your own ability to achieve and to satisfy yourself. Do not trust in the things of this world. There may be seasons where, man, that is lush and it's green. But there's coming a time where it's going to fade quickly and it's going to wither. And in contrast to that, the challenge is don't trust in flesh. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in the word of our Lord because it stands forever. And the last one is, the last command is to behold, open your eyes, look, look at God because he leads with power and with tenderness. I love this picture, verse nine. He says, go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, and say to the cities of Judah, listen to this picture of God, behold your God, Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him and behold his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his, this is important, it's gather the lambs in his arm. It's singular, not plural. He will gather his lamb in his arm. He will carry them in his bosom and he will gently lead those that are with young. Here's the picture that God would love for you to have of him this morning. Just picture one arm, it's just massive and strong that can defend uh, his people, that can defeat all enemies, that can just perfectly mete out recompense and mete out reward that God with that mighty arm prevails over any, over any enemy, over any challenge that his people can face. That's your, that's your strong arm of this mighty God But now picture the other arm. That's why it's so important singular because I think both arms are going at the same time. It's with one arm that he grabs then his young, that he grabs the flock, that he grabs you and he's got you in his embrace, and he's pulling you like, I don't know, wouldn't you be tempted to just kind of hold us away at arm's length, you know, like especially you're talking about sheep, and like, it's kind of stinky, I'm going keep it out there, but no, pulls you close, pulls you to his bosom, pulls you to his chest. I just think of so many times, like when my kids were young, like just they felt so comfortable just popping right here and snuggling in right here to read or when they would jump in with a grandparent, just that spot where they just felt so comfortable what an amazing picture of your God. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your battles are. I don't know what battles are coming your way. But what an amazing picture of your God that with one arm, he's mighty and strong and can fight off any challenge that's coming your way. And with that other arm, he loves you so much, he's just pulling you close. And he's saying, let's go. Let's go. We got this. Let's go. Isn't that an awesome picture of, of your God? And so that's the first 11 verses. And And almost as a crescendo even beyond that. And I think verse 11 kind of launches Isaiah into verses 12 to 26, I think are some of the richest scriptures that just elevate God before us. I think when we get discouraged, we get disappointed, and we get frustrated, and we get burned out, guess where our eyes are? Our eyes are on our circumstances. I heard it said this week, your circumstances are what you see when your eyes aren't on God. And so what I think what Isaiah is trying to do is maybe he's got to start, but he's trying to lift our eyes up and let's look at the God who just made these four promises to you. I just painted this picture of the two arms, but let me just make sure you understand how great he is. Uh, I, as a Christian, you need these kind of passages. I gave you some in your notes under for further study. You need those go-to passages that just keep reminding you of the greatness of God. And so... There's, there's four ways that, um, that Isaiah just lifts our eyes up to remind us God is preeminent. God is supreme. God is all powerful. So here's one of them. God reigns over creation. He says, um, t- talking about God, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance it 's a huge hand. I was walking and praying the other day, and I went up the hill towards the golf course, and I was coming back down and I saw those retention ponds you know at Idlewild right behind us. I was just picturing like if somebody could just take their hand and just scoop up that retention pond it 's like man we would all just be like, "Whoa, how did you do that? Like what a hand could do that, and that retention pond compared to What? The Great Lakes and the oceans and just all of that. The hand of God just scoops it up and measures it out. When it talks about the span of God, it means that his hand, like this, measures off the universe. The latest projected size of the universe is 150 billion light years wide. Remember, a light year is 186,000 miles per second, then do the math to what that would be in a year. Okay. And so 150 billion of those, remember a billion is if you start counting one, two, three, you would, it would take you 31 years to get to a billion. Okay. Just huge dimensions that God with his hand just goes like this. I don't know if you've been wondering what this is. So the guy in the NBA with the biggest hand uh, plays for the Spurs, and his name is Boban Marjanovic. I don't know much about him. But this would be how big his hand is, okay? I, I've always thought I had decent-sized hands, palm of basketball, that kind of thing. Check it out. Like, that's that's huge, all right? That's huge. If we saw that guy's hand just laid out, we'd go like, dude, you got a big hand, right? So, But just your God is so much bigger and so much stronger than, than that. So he reigns over creation. Let's jump to the next one. He reigns over the nations, verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket And they are accounted as dust on the scales. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Let me clarify. This doesn't mean that God doesn't care about the nations. This doesn't mean that God has disregard for them. It's the complete opposite. God so loved the nations, loved the world that he gave his only son. But this means God isn't afraid of the nations. God isn't up at night going like, oh no, Iran might have nukes. Oh, what am I gonna do now? Like ISIS is gaining strength or North Korea might have a missile. God, you know, God doesn't really care like about that. God, they're like a drop in the bucket to him. There is no earthly power that can stand up. God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. And that was a great word for God's people because they were constantly aware of the other nations and are they at peace with them? And can they rely on Egypt? Can they rely on the other countries around them? And God says, stop trusting in things on that planet they are small compared to me i rule over the nations Uh, the next section he talks about he rules over all gods Uh, isaiah hated false worship because he saw remember he saw the true god he's like how can you worship these other pieces of garbage compared to look how awesome god is we'll talk about that more next week but that next section he reigns over all gods and then finally as if he was just so frustrated like he's just trying to grab the biggest descriptions he can, he just kind of pours it all out. Well, God's just, he reigns over everything, okay? He just reigns over it all, Look at verse 21. And you'll notice this in Isaiah 40. There are a ton of rhetorical questions. Isaiah 40 is meant to be a chapter that you go sit somewhere where you just are out in God's creation, and you just ask yourself these questions. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? You know, this repetition you see him using, it's It's a mild form of rebuke. He's saying, come on, God's people, don't you know this yet? Don't you understand how great your God is? Because Isaiah knows how quickly we forget God's greatness, how quickly we jump into fear and worry and uncertainty. Verse 22, he says, Remember your God. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and sees, pointing to the stars. Who created these? Who brings out the host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one of them is missing. Again, a little more... Math, one more numbers for you. Um, Laurie said, don't just throw numbers at people, give them a slide. So there should be a slide on this one. The latest estimate is there are between 100 and 400 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And now the Milky Way galaxy, from what we know today, is one of either 100 to 500 billion galaxies. So if you do the math there, there are at least 10 to the 22nd power stars in the universe one with 22 zeros after it, all right? And so the one obviously we know the most about is the sun, it's closest to us. We estimate that the core temperature of the sun is 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. And, and from what we understand, the sun is a very average star. So here's God calling out all these stars and he's giving them names. When you give something a name, it means you own it. Like every pet you've had, you had the right to name that pet. You didn't go into dialogue. We didn't ask Bubba, how does Bubba sound to you? Like we just named him Bubba, our black lab, right? And so even when our kids were younger, we, we had a horrible, we did a horrible job with fish. Like it was hard to just keep coming up with names and then they would die. We tried things like floater and belly up. And even by then, <laughs> even by then our little kids were getting kind of callous to, yeah, let's just him kind of belly up, you know? So, so uh, we did not do that intentionally, just something with us and the fish, all right? So, but God is in such control that these awesome stars are like fish, are like little fish in a bowl to him. And he's got billions and billions of them that he is in charge of. You know, this, these statements about God and many throughout the book of Isaiah um, would, would have left you uh, if you were, uh, even if you were that audience Isaiah was talking to 100 years later, and you're coming back from exile, you're coming back to Jerusalem, and you're seeing like, yeah, God did set us free. Yeah, God has been good to us. There would still be a longing in you for something more, for something greater. And that's why throughout Isaiah, remember when I said he saw the Lord high and lifted up? He saw the Lord in the throne. The book of John in the New Testament tells us that who he actually saw in that throne was, it's a big word, I'll explain it, was the pre-incarnate Jesus. That means the before flesh Jesus. Before Jesus came to this earth as a baby, which Isaiah predicted. Isaiah predicted the birth of Jesus to a virgin. He predicted that a child would become a king and rescue God's people. He also predicted that this child would, would first come and suffer, that this child would die for the sins of God's people fascinating. A lot of people call Isaiah the fifth gospel because it talks so much about Jesus. And so if you were that person listening to Isaiah's prophecies, you would say, yeah, we're seeing some of this happen now. But, but as Isaiah, Isaiah also told him, but there is one coming who will completely fulfill all that I have just talked about. And so here it's Jesus that, that, in fact, when Jesus was being dedicated, we just saw a bunch of children dedicated. When Jesus went to the temple on his eighth day, And Mary and Joseph took him there to dedicate him. There was a godly man named Simeon that had waited, he said, that had waited for years and years and years to see the consolation of Israel. You You know where that phrase comes from? It comes from Isaiah 40. That for years he had longed to see, God promised him that he would see the one who would be the comforter, the consolation for God's people. And just think of 20, 30, 40 years of being in the temple and just all the children that Simeon saw go right by him to be dedicated to the Lord. And then God said, this is the one. This is him. This is the consolation of my people. And Simeon went crazy, celebrated. He was so thankful that God allowed him to see Jesus, the one who would fulfill all of these things. So when God says, I wanna extend comfort to my people, Jesus is the one who went to the cross for us to take away our sins so that we can be at peace with God. Jesus is the one that offers you forgiveness so that you can say, I am am comfortable with God. I am at comfort. I am in relationship with God because he has forgiven me and he has given me life through Jesus. You heard that statement about, you know, um, Preparing the way, and John the Baptist was the one that actually fulfilled that statement in Isaiah two and three, being the one who would prepare the way for for Jesus to come. The one, the voice crying in the wilderness. Um, the the promise there was that all flesh would see the glory of God. And some people saw the glory of God when Jesus came the first time, but when He comes yet again, all flesh will see the glory of God revealed. And so, in even the section we just read about the creation. And about creation being sustained, the Bible tells us that everything that was made was made through Jesus. And Colossians one tells us that Jesus sustains all of this universe. And so, I've got to ask you this question: I would imagine um, that many of you who came today would identify yourself as a Christian, as a believer in God and not everybody. And that's, if you're not, that's fine. You're welcome. I'd encourage you to keep looking and asking questions. Um, but many of us would identify, well, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Well, here's, here's a, a good gut check question for us. It's like, do we really see and do we really believe the Jesus, that, that Isaiah is picturing for us? And what would the gauges of your heart say? Because like in Daniel eleven thirty two, it says, people who know their God Stand strong and take action. So if you really know that God is like that picture of like one hand strong, one arm holding you close, what would you look like if you really had an awe for the greatness and goodness of God? I think there would be a confidence and a boldness in your life that, that people around you would just be amazed at. Like where do you get that, that confidence? And, and really that confidence, not just so you can kind of show off, but so that you can be bold and caring for others. And giving your time for others giving your resources for others that you would be confident that god has you Um, there would be humility about you you would know that this life isn't about you because you know the one who truly is great and awesome there would be a genuine humility and i would add to that a dependence that you would know i can't do this on my own i need i need god and and that would be most reflected in your prayer life that prayer wouldn't be something you have to remember to do and maybe every two or three days you pray, but you, you would just constantly be in that mode of prayer because how great he is, how needy you are. I think there'd be a passion in your life, like it would be just an energy and excitement that I get to wake up every morning in a relationship with this amazing God who, who is for me, who has empowered me, and now let's go, like he's saying to me, let's go, let's, let's go together into this day. I think there would be a passion, and I think there would be a calm and there would be a peace about us. Even you know, as the things around us might not be going well and as the people around us are freaking out, there would be a calm and a rest and an assurance. You know, parents, I, I read this this week, I really think the greatest gift that you can give your kids is to give them an awe, a sense of what it looks like to have an awe of God. Like if they could see mom and dad living with confidence, living humbly, depending on God, Being at peace. I mean, just ask them when do mom and dad parent the best? Is it when they're freaked out and mad and worried? Or is it when they're just so aware of the awe of God? I love this quote by Paul Tripp. It says, The great battle of parenting is not the battle of behavior, it's the battle of what kind of awe will rule our children's hearts. And the best place to start showing them what it looks like to have an awe of God is to have a mom and a dad and to have some grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends of the family that just model for these kids. What does it look like to have a true, sincere awe of God? The end of the chapter uh, talks about perseverance. Some great words. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Again, this is a mild rebuke. Guys, don't don't question it. Remember who God is. Get your eyes up. Look at God. Resist your doubts. And then he says this, remember your God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint. He doesn't grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him has no might, he increases strength says, keep looking to God. He doesn't end. He doesn't lose his power. He doesn't lose the ability to help you. He will be constant in your life. And the last one is this: you can find renewed strength. Even youths will faint and be weary, and young men will fall exhausted. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk, and they will not faint. You know, one of the things we hate to do the most is to wait just wait on God. Let me just break that down for us. That does not mean go passive. It doesn't mean go passive. It doesn't mean just throw up your hands and go, oh, whatever, okay, surah, surah, whatever God will do, God will do. To wait on the Lord means is that you're expecting him to show up at any time. You know him. You trust him. You know what he does. And so waiting means a hope a constant, continual hope. And it also means there's an energy behind that. You are so ready for him to move. You are so trusting him that you are still faithfully serving him and going with him. In fact, the Christian life was never promised to be a cakewalk okay? If you're going to follow Jesus, he's going to take you into some exhausting seasons of your life. Uh, Exhibit A, parenting, right? Parenting little kids, right? It's not like, oh, this will be easy. He'll just make it easy for me. I'll just kind of float above, you know, the diapers and everything. It's like, that's not what he's promising. There will be seasons in your life as you follow God where your life will be squeezed out for others, as parents, or as you're serving and caring for other people, there will be nights your head hits a pillow, and before you know it, it's time to get up the next day. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's seasons of your life that will be like that, but what God promises is that I will renew your strength. Make sure that you're trusting me to renew that strength. Make sure you're doing things that I am calling you to do, and then go hard, and, and, and use the strength that I'm giving you to just constantly and faithfully point people to me. Let me pray for us. Let me just ask you to kind of close your head, close your, close your head, close your eyes, bow your heads. Let's do that. And um, let me just ask you, so um, if you really believe, if you really believe this word, you really realize who God is, then I think you will find comfort in this life. I think you will find the faith to endure, and there will be a hope of his coming that will just pervade your life. And so let me just ask you again, we talked about at the beginning of the sermon, where do you feel overloaded? Where do you feel overwhelmed? Where do you feel disappointed and discouraged? Once again, just lay that before God. Say, God, remind me of your greatness and goodness. Renew my strength to keep trusting in you. God, thank you for your love for your people. And I pray that image of you with one arm defending and protecting and with the other arm pulling us close would just carry us through whatever's coming this week, whatever battle is in our lives now. And that we would show this world what it looks like to live with an awe of the true God. That we would live with confidence, that we would live humbly. God, that we would be people that just have peace and calm in our lives, as we expend our lives for our friends, our neighbors, our family, as we get the message of how great you are out to this community and to this world. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.